0: Tonight we'll be starting with the text of Proverbs, so we'll be looking at uh, Proverbs chapter 1 and trying to work our way through that. But I wanted to begin by reading from a different chapter in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 16, uh, just to read a few verses and then I'll open in prayer. Proverbs 15 and 16, we call it the theological center of the book of Proverbs, and this is where we have the heaviest concentration of Proverbs that mention the Lord. Uh, We call these Yahweh Proverbs. Uh, That is, they say something about the Lord. And uh, we talked a little bit, if you recall, last week about when a proverb is prescriptive, meaning it's normative, versus when it's descriptive. And one of the features of the normative proverbs often involves the fact that it mentions the Lord. So I want to just read a few verses here from chapter 16. And several of these are... Uh, proverbs mentioning the lord to man belong the plans of the heart but the lord from the lord comes the reply of the tongue all a man's ways seem innocent to him but motives are weighed by the lord commit to the lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed the lord works out everything for his own ends even the wicked for a day of disaster The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. All right, Uh, a good reminder about the need for humility in light of the fact that God sovereignly knows and will judge sin. This is a good reminder, particularly uh, in the climate in which we live today, particularly, I think, often of the political situation. It reminds me of Psalm 73. It's rather discouraging until you consider their end right? And then we know that the Lord will bring all these things uh, into judgment. So that's both a promise and a warning to us. So let's open a prayer and then we'll get going with our study tonight. Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to study your word. And I ask that you would help us, that you would grant us wisdom and discernment as we work through the text of Proverbs 1 this evening. I pray that this would be a benefit to us, that we would, as Solomon uh, says in the opening, gain insight and know wisdom and correction. And I pray, Lord, that this would be profitable for us as we study your word and as we seek to apply it to our lives. We uh, admit, as James tells us to, that we lack wisdom and that you are the source of wisdom. And so we pray that you would give us wisdom to face uh, the difficulties and trials of our lives, as well as... Uh, decisions that we have to make about uh, ways in which we can live and serve you. So I pray for your grace, and I pray for uh, mercy in our study this evening, and that Christ would be honored and glorified uh, by the time we have together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your next installment of the notes, uh, this is page 66, and we'll begin there with Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. I have the NIV text, uh, and then I have notes that uh, explain this text, so we'll talk a little bit about this. My goal really is to do an inductive study of the text of Proverbs uh, so that we can really discuss what's going on. So what I'd like to do is I'll read these verses 1 through 7 and then ask a few questions to open it up for discussion uh, so we can inductively or as a group study this and analyze what's going on. So the book begins, Proverbs 1, 1. There goes my phone. All right. Uh, Let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right. So most would note here that we have the opening, what would be called the prologue or the preamble to the book of Proverbs. And these seven verses really give us not only the title, but the theme and purpose of the book. So I want to look through these verses again in a little more detail and ask two basic questions. Number one, how do these verses introduce the book? What do these verses tell us about Proverbs that's important to get? Uh, Admittedly, probably many of us, when we read the book of Proverbs, kind of skip through these first seven verses Uh, Because I think, admittedly, uh, we would acknowledge it seems like a string of very synonymous terms. It's difficult to really understand what exactly is being communicated. In other words, uh, how do we know the difference between what wisdom and prudent behavior is? Prudence, knowledge, discretion, are all these really just ways of describing the same thing? I want to suggest that as we work through these seven verses... Uh, This is the literary plan for the book. It gives us the purpose and the theme, and so it's very significant for the study of the book, so it's not really to be skipped over or taken lightly, but uh, it helps us to understand what Solomon wants to accomplish in the book because as good interpreters, as good readers of Scripture, uh, we talk about authorial intent, right? That is to say, what did the author intend to communicate through the book? If we can understand what the author intended, us to gain from the book that will help us as we seek to understand it. So, question one, how do these verses introduce the book? Okay, question number one, and number two, what is the purpose? of Proverbs. Okay, what is the purpose of Proverbs? So, uh, let's have some discussion informally as we think about these questions. Number one, how do these verses introduce the book? What do these verses tell us that we need to know to be successful readers of the book of Proverbs? Anybody want to give an observation as you look through these seven verses? Yes. Um,
1: I would say that He's preparing us to be in awe of God. And when we have that attitude, then we will be more open to getting the instruction that he wants us to have and then to
0: learn how to apply it. Okay. So uh, an important word there, to be in awe of God, right? And picking this up from verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We talked a little bit about what that means, that it's a reverence. Uh, For the Lord in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, it's often equivalent to what I would term as the saving knowledge of God, saving faith. So fearing the Lord means to know the Lord, but also to be in awe of him. Okay, so that's an important uh, item to pick up. Any other insights or thoughts? Yes, to make the foolish wise. Okay, to make the foolish wise. Notice uh, the the chaining of synonyms that he uses to describe the ideal reader or the target audience to use modern terminology. So verse four, how are, how is the audience described? So simple and young. So simple and young, but are those the only readers that will be reading? What does verse five tell us? Okay, let the wise listen and add, the discerning get guidance. Okay, so is there something in the book of Proverbs beyond just the simpleton, the naive youth who's inexperienced? Is there for something everyone. more? It's for everyone. It's for everyone. And so I think the goal of the book is even if you start young and inexperienced, which maybe uh, ideally the prologue 1 through 9 is aimed at you, But as you advance in wisdom, there's more and more there. So in other words, there's a texture to the book that even the wise can heed his wisdom and get discernment, get guidance. And so there's something there for everybody. All right. And then he goes on, however, in verse seven, talks about the fear of the Lord. And there's one other potential interactor with this material. And what's that in verse seven? The fool. fool. Okay, so the fool really is the one who probably is exposed to truth and spurns it. That is to say, remember the two paths analogy, uh, the young inexperienced youth, uh, as he or she rejects the wisdom, will be hardened in his folly until eventually he becomes a scoffer. And this is the progression downward in the book of Proverbs. It starts with uh, the simple and eventually gets reaches the scoffer and the scoffer is the one who is hardened in his heart, and, and folly is bound up there, and uh, he is almost beyond the reach of the counsel of the wise. Uh, so there's a distinction there. All right, any other observations? How these verses introduce the book?
1: I kind of think of it as simple as being I kind of like the undecided, you're not really a hard set fool. Either right, but they're kind of, you know, either way. And what it does is knocks them off the fence
0: onto the right side of the fence. Right. For those of us who are a little bit older, uh, can probably remember, and those that are younger, uh, when you're in your youth, uh, they often the sense is not knowing what to do. I remember when I uh, first went to seminary, and I was looking, and I really wanted to go to seminary, and I was asking, you know, do I have any questions? And I basically replied, I don't even know what to ask because I'm so young and inexperienced. I don't even know what I'm doing. I need wisdom. And so uh, I really felt that way as a youth, and I think many can relate to that. So the simple here can take this wisdom and begin to build insight and discretion, and through the process will gain understanding. Okay, good. Any other observations about the book? And it tells
1: us the content kind of it, too, of how it- done it, through Proverbs, parables, sayings, riddles.
0: Right. So we get a taste here of the various types of literature that we'll find here, particularly in verse 6. And this is why, as I mentioned before, I really see the preamble as setting up the progression of the book. That is to say, as you gain, you'll notice verse 5 for instance, it's the wise and the discerning that are getting additional wisdom and what they're tasked with doing in verse six is understanding the deeper truths. That is, the proverbs and the parallel and the parables, the sayings and the riddles. Now, is there a distinction between the proverbs, parables, sayings, and riddles of verse six and the wisdom and instruction and words of insight of verse two? Okay, I would say that there is a slight distinction, and the distinction is. Uh, Just like a baby begins with milk and works up to solid food, verse 2 is the basics of wisdom and instruction. As we'll see in a moment, that word instruction really has the idea of correction or warning. It's a negative type of word that means uh, you're confronted by the truth and warned. It's not simply a, a word meaning education. So the idea is to be instructed in what to do and what not to do. This is an important part of parenting, right? We both tell our kids how they should live and what they should not do. And both sides of wisdom are very important. When you get to verse 6, though, these are the more difficult things, particularly riddles. Uh, What does it mean to have a riddle in the context of of wisdom literature? Uh, Do we really find riddles... In the book of Proverbs, have you ever thought about that? It's one of those words maybe we just pass over without really pausing to think about. Are there riddles in the book? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think like uh, where it says, "Answer a his folly, or don't answer a his folly."
0: Okay. So you have juxtaposed there two seemingly contradictory statements that invite us to think deeply about what's going on there, right? Uh, particularly, I think, as we get to the end of the book, I think I've mentioned this before, but in uh, chapters 30 and 31, uh, we have these two sages, Agur and Lemuel. I would take these to be not probably non-Israelite sages, uh, and they are presenting, particularly Agur, what I think are a number of riddles. He gives these uh, enumerated comparisons of this is like this, and uh, it's a little bit more complex, and so as you wrestle through that, I think it requires discernment to get to the bottom of it. Okay, so those are some of the the uh, the things that we would see uh, as introducing the book. So, kind of hand in hand with that, what is the purpose of proverbs? What is it seeking to accomplish? Any ideas? follow wisdom what's that to follow wisdom wisdom. right yes pretty much what i was going to say is it's encouraging people to
1: pursue it and seek after it to go after it aggressively
0: okay to aggressively pursue wisdom right to be motivated to get beyond the surface but to really know and understand and, and seek to correlate Right. That's, that's one of the big things of life is to be able to correlate truth. And uh, that's what Solomon's inviting us to do. Yes? And not just that, but taking
1: it further to not just attain the wisdom, but have it result in, like verse 3 says, behavior, knowing what to do with that wisdom in our actions and in our behavior.
0: Right. So it's very practical.
1: A moral result.
0: It has a moral result. Correct. So is it correct to say that we can educate without a moral component? Let's say the book of Proverbs teaches us that wisdom involves a moral component. Wisdom uh, entails, that is, as a necessary entailment, a moral transformation. Uh, That's why the fear of the Lord begins the process in verse 7. All right. Any other thoughts about the purpose of Proverbs? Yes. To consider or think about to consider or think about, okay. Not just read over, but really think okay. about it. Right. It requires concentrated thought and reflection, and uh, those are important qualities to have, particularly as we study Scripture. Right. That uh, we need to be really drinking deeply in the truths of God's Word and uh, studying it more. Uh, I was, I was, I had a luncheon yesterday with uh, one of my old professors out from uh, California at the Master Seminary and he was giving advice to younger guys about what to do and he said uh, his number one advice is be in the Word. Be in the Word. And I think that's so important uh, that we need to be focusing on it as well. All right, Any other comments along these lines? Yes, sir. I mean,
1: about the fear of the Lord like the New Testament. Knowledge of God, say, Would you draw a parallel and say, well this is like spirit this is like what we think of as Christian maturity sanctification that Proverbs.
0: I would. I would and I I don't think I'm going out of a limb to say that because as I read it and understand it, I'm seeing more and more that connection that it does involve sanctification that is progressive in nature. Uh, and I think the book aligns itself very well with that understanding. Uh, there's not some esoteric nugget in the middle where you suddenly jump up, but it's sort of a gradual growth in wisdom. So, yeah. All right. Well, with that understanding, let's uh, I have a, a few notes here. I don't want to read through, but I do want to just make some, some comments about some of the things here. All right. Verse 1 begins with this title, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Uh, We know, as we've already discussed at length in the introduction, Solomon was a key figure in wisdom, right? The uh, first Kings tells us this in chapter three, that he's given wisdom, and in chapter four, uh, he's compared to other sages from the world, and uh, he's found to be wise, wiser than them. So, uh, the title begins, it's the Proverbs of Solomon. Uh, This word proverb, we talked a little bit about what a proverb means, and it just means, and I want to talk a little bit more about this. It comes from a Hebrew word, uh, Mishle, which is related to a lot of other languages of the ancient Near East. And I think the basic concept here is to compare something to something else. I think this is a key insight into uh, what wisdom is the very word proverb has the idea of making connections between differing realities okay so in other words to to be able to make a proverb is to say a is like b therefore we should draw a conclusion c so in other words to be able to compare and make meaningful correlations this is what proverbs are As I say there toward the the bottom of that page, this understanding explains the numerous proverbs which are comparative in nature, linking or dissociating concepts in a way so as to better explain both. Remember in the introduction we talked about how a lot of proverbs are either comparative or contrastive. And this is really what a proverb is, is it draws comparisons between different things. If you go to page 63, I have some examples of this from uh, different parts of the book and one example outside the book. Uh, But just as an exercise, sometimes uh, you might think about this. Notice how often when Proverbs are given or when people are described as wise in the Old Testament, you can think of some of the better sages like Ahithophel, uh, the wise woman of Tekoa. Here I have an example from Hushai, how often they're comparing one thing to another, And that seems to be one of the key elements, ingredients of wisdom and the proverb is to be able to compare things and make determinations, right? Isn't that what it means to discern the times? In other words, what you're doing is you're taking some knowledge that you have and applying it to the present situation and through that comparison and contrast, making a skilled decision. And that's really what a proverb is. So notice... How several of these have that quality. Hushai, for instance, uh, when he's uh, giving advice to Absalom says, you know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Okay. Several ex- other examples. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Okay. This comparison invites you to think about what does it mean to have a gold ring and a pig's snout in ancient Israel. Okay, that jarring image uh, is an analogy, Solomon is saying, to a beautiful woman without discretion. Okay, several other examples. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Uh, The favor of a king is like a rain cloud in spring. Uh, A scoundrel plots evil. It's like a scorching fire. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Okay, uh, elsewhere it's compared to uh, grabbing a mangy dog and uh, starting a quarrel. The words of the gossip are like choice morsels or a king's rage is like the roar of a lion. Okay, so a lot of what Proverbs are about is comparing one thing to another. And as you gain skill and wisdom, particularly chapters 10 and following, a lot of the content there is saying one thing is like another, therefore you ought to avoid it or pursue it. As follows, So uh, keeping that in mind might help us as we move forward, okay? So that's what a proverb is, okay? Uh, verse 2, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, this idea of wisdom and instruction. Uh, I think I have an older text of the NIV, and this is the 2011 NIV in the notes here. So the 2011 says, wisdom and instruction... Uh, the older NIV, I don't know if anyone has this, says uh, attaining wisdom and discipline. Maybe you have that in your, in your text. I want to talk a little bit about what that second word means. Uh, wisdom and discipline. This is a word uh, which is more than just education. It has the idea of correction. So the concept here is the young man will gain uh, knowledge and wisdom as well as correction. That is the negative side. So think about this in terms of education. How is most education done, for instance, in America? What, it, what does the teacher usually try to do? Impart knowledge, right? Sort of fill the heads of the students with knowledge that they can use in a practical way. But what is Proverbs saying a necessary component of gaining wisdom is not just getting the positive content but also getting correction. So is it necessary for you to mature that you be corrected, that you be confronted? Uh maybe you're still young enough to remember most of us uh the impetuosity that is often characterized by youth, right? That uh, you sort of have a lot of energy and zeal, and sometimes when confronted about things, it's really difficult to take criticism or correction. Proverbs is saying that's the necessary humility that the young man, the, the simple, must have at the beginning, learning how to take correction. Uh, think about how many youth today do not want to take correction, right? Think about uh You see it just in in how the behavior is that it's really lacking in today's society. So Solomon is saying both wisdom and warning are necessary for uh, those who would gain insight. Okay. Continues here with verse three. uh, And he makes this interesting statement here about prudent behavior, giving prudence to the simple. Okay. Knowledge and discretion to the young. I want to talk a little bit about what this means. Uh, Verse 3 is really the uh, key, the center, if you will, of these first seven verses. Particularly that second phrase, doing what is right and just and fair. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means. Uh, The phrase here I note at the bottom of 63, prudent behavior is connected to instruction in the sense that the intended reader, the inexperienced young man, by receiving correction will achieve prudent behavior. So notice the connection here. Verse two is wisdom and correction. Verse three is correction gives prudence. And prudence allows uh, the young Man to gain insight into what is right and just, and I would translate that last phrase as acts of equity. Okay, so I'll I'll let you read through that on page 64. I just want to make a comment here about what I think uh, this is talking about. What this essentially means is the young man needs wisdom and correction. If he gets correction, in particular, verse three tells us he will gain insight into proper ways to live. The contrast here is uh, doing what is right and just and fair. What is the opposite of that? The opposite of that would be doing what is wicked, doing injustice, and lacking integrity, being dishonest. So for us to avoid those types of behavior, we need to receive correction. Receiving correction puts us on the right path. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes talks about this, uh, where it says, uh, better is a young, inexperienced youth than an old king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. Right? I think uh, that's one of the dangers as we grow older, is there are fewer people in our lives, perhaps, that correct us. We all need that, of course. Uh, And I'm thankful, I can think of times in my life where, People said hard things to me, but kept me from going down a path I shouldn't have gone down. And so it's important to do that. Uh, So, you know, even as fellow believers, this is why church membership is so vital, uh, because we are then connected to a community of people who can lovingly correct us. Uh, So many in our society today are disconnected from anyone who would give them loving correction. And what does that lead to? It leads to reckless folly. And it binds up that folly, as the analogy is in the book of Proverbs. So we need that correction if we're to avoid these uh, foolish behaviors. It's interesting, a verse that has always intrigued me is Hebrews 5.8. Uh, it says of Christ, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Uh, so suffering has a place in God's plan for our spiritual growth and maturity. And we need to learn from correction. Now, one of the interesting things, though, is verse four. And I want to just talk a little bit about this. Uh, The NIV translation here uh, presents verse four as one of the other purposes of wisdom uh, to give prudence to those who are simple knowledge and discretion to the young. What is often lost in a lot of the translations, English versions, is the fact that these two terms in verse four are almost always in the Bible taken in a negative fashion. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Is verse four saying that we will get prudence and discretion, or is it saying that we will learn cunning and scheming? Uh, Because this, this is really what these two words are. So let me just talk a little bit about this. The terms prudence or really cunning and discretion which really often is translated evil planning or scheming, carry negative connotations elsewhere in Proverbs and portions of the Old Testament. I want to look at just a few of these. Uh, if you turn back to Joshua 9.4, Joshua 9.4. If you remember the story of Joshua 9, this is the subterfuge of the Gibeonites who attempt to deceive the Israelites actually do so successfully. And you remember what they do. They uh, have this ruse that they resort to. Verse 4 says, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All of the bread support. Bread of their supply, food supply was dry and moldy. Okay, so what they're doing here? This word for ruse is the same term used here. The idea of cunning or using shrewd insight. This term is also used in Exodus twenty-one fourteen. Uh, if you look there, Exodus twenty-one fourteen. If a man schemes, that is the same same term there, uh, with cunning, schemes and kills another man deliberately, take him away from my altar and put him to death. So this word scheming usually in the Old Testament has the idea of cunning or shrewdness. The other term also usually is a negative term in the book of Proverbs, uh, if you turn back to Proverbs and look at chapter 12 and verse two, a good man obtains favor from the Lord, but the Lord condemns a crafty man. That term for crafty man is the same term as used in verse four discretion for the youth. One other reference, 24:8. He who plots evil will be known as a schemer. That word schemer is the same word as discretion in verse 4. So my question is, uh, is this, as Tremper Longman, who has written a commentary on Proverbs, says, uh, really the only place where these two terms are used with a completely positive connotation Or is Proverbs saying something that is often missed, I think, in a lot of English versions, and that is that wisdom entails or or brings with it not simply a knowledge of good, but shrewd insight into the darker side of wisdom. And what I mean by that is, uh, we might use the phrase today, a certain street smarts about what we need to do to be successful in navigating an evil fallen world Uh, if you work in the workplace i I remember when i was out in california for several years i worked in a very high pressure environment it was a dog eat dog sort of scenario and you needed cunning to navigate because it seemed like everyone was out to get everyone else right and it it was uh, a very interesting place to be uh, so is is that what Proverbs is saying here? Uh, one other thing that's interesting is this idea of cunning is a- also used in 2 Samuel 13. And I note that here in the middle of the paragraph, uh, there's a man named Jonadab. He's the nephew of David, cousin of Amnon. And you remember the story of Amnon and Tamar, right? And Amnon uh, is sick, which really is just lust toward Tamar and so he wants to devise a way where he can be alone with her and gratify his lusts and make sexual advances toward her. And so Jonadab comes up with a plan and in verse 2 of chapter 13 it says Jonadab is a very shrewd man but the word there for shrewd is simply the word for wisdom hakma. So so would we connect cunning and shrewdness with wisdom? Uh, thoughts about that? Yeah. Doesn't Jesus say to be wise like serpents or innocent as doves? Yeah, he does. I think I have that right there. Ten sixteen, Matthew ten sixteen, be as shrewd as snakes or wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So is, is that what this verse is telling us? I don't know if that's a fair question. Can you really answer that question? Uh, Let me ask it this way. If these words almost everywhere else in the Bible have the idea of cunning and scheming, does that seem to suggest that maybe the negative side is in view here as well? In other words, it's not that this is the only place in the Bible where they're positive in connotation, but maybe wisdom involves having a knowledge of how the the seamy underbelly, if you will, of society works so that we can navigate it successfully. Thoughts? Does this kind of possibly entail,
1: let's say a mistake is made and you need to report it, okay, but you choose a time of day, like the end of the work day, right before they're going to get off to report it,
0: so that there's less chance of action being yeah. done would that be included in that idea? So an example being uh, to, to make to afford yourself of opportunities to navigate things in a way that uh, is, is going to either bring success or lessen the fallout, right. you could say it that way uh, I think so, I think the idea here would be a shrewdness, I mean what does it mean to be as wise as serpents I mean, that's a question we have to ask along with this. What does Jesus mean in that statement? Um, He he makes another statement, you know, the children of this generation are wiser uh, than the children of light. So what does it mean to be shrewd? I think it does have that idea that we not only understand how life should be, but how life really is. And I think uh, books like Ecclesiastes are even more weighted in that direction to look at uh, what does life in a fallen world look like? How do we successfully navigate that? And even in the book of Proverbs, remember there are times where Solomon will say, a bribe opens the door, a man who gives gifts you know, has an entree given unto him. So the idea is not necessarily to commend that, but simply to say that's the way life is, and understanding that will help us not to be surprised when we encounter those sorts of things. I can think of, I have some friends who are missionaries in Kenya, and uh, it's a completely different scenario to be trying to do business in Kenya, and so they have told me that uh, sometimes they'll be discussing something with someone, and the remark will be made, let us have a cup of tea, and that's a cultural code word for, I'm expecting you to give me some sort of a bribe, right? So, in other words, knowing how to navigate wisely without losing integrity, that's the key. And I think, so Proverbs is telling us it's not just flowery good stuff, but it's also really understanding the stark reality of life in this world. So I think both sides are included. Yeah? Well, you have it with, he's dealing with the simple and the young with these words, right? So it's almost like they're naive, right? And you want to get them so that they're, they're going to be able to see through the cunning yeah. of somebody Exactly. Exactly, and my kids have just entered the teenage years, and uh, this is part of uh, the training because one in particular uh, tends to trust everybody, and so learning how to uh, balance being outgoing and friendly with also knowing that there are evil people in the world, right, so being able to navigate that is important. So anyway, all that discussion to say, I think Proverbs is telling us in verse 4 not simply only the positive side, but I think there is the reality of understanding how craftiness works and understanding that so that we can successfully navigate. Okay. Let me keep pushing through here. Uh, Verse six, I'm not going to get into all this uh, on the notes, uh, but I'll just say this, that I think the term parables there in verse six probably could better be interpreted as uh, interpretive allusions. Again, This is what I see as a step up. So we have proverbs and then we have parables. Uh, Parables are interpretive allusions in the sense that uh, we're seeing something in society and interpreting that in a way that we make wise decisions. We see this from time to time with the example stories in the book. uh, And so those give us uh, insight into how things happen. All right. So let's go forward to page 66, 66. And I want to uh, just know a couple other things. Uh, verse seven has this juxtaposition. Remember, we talked a little bit about parallelism. What do you observe about verse seven? What's interesting about verse seven is in the parallelism you don't really have a strict correlation between the two halves of the verse. And what I mean by that is verse uh, side one says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but side two or the latter half of the verse says fools despise wisdom and discipline. So if we look at that second phrase, what is fools echoing from the first line? Do you see? In other words, It's not strict one-for-one parallelism. There's no wise man in the first line that's now mirrored by fools in the second line. So why does Solomon introduce this idea of fools here? What is this accomplishing? Uh, In other words, wouldn't it be more parallel to say the fear of the Lord's being of knowledge, but uh, refusing the Lord brings destruction? That would seem to be a tighter parallelism. But instead, Solomon says, fear of the Lord versus fools. So what do we pick up by observing this parallelism?
1: um, Loving wisdom and instruction comes with fearing the Lord. It is expected
0: when you fear the Lord. Say that one. I'm sorry. uh, um,
1: Loving wisdom and instruction uh, is automatic. It's assumed when you
0: fear the Lord. Okay, so... If you fear the Lord, you do the opposite of what the fool does. So you uh, accept wisdom and discipline. Right? Okay. Other other thoughts? Well, the foundation of wisdom instruction is the fear of the Lord. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, you have no foundation. Okay. Right. So fear of the Lord is the foundation. So we could say it this way: that in the one line, fear of the Lord, in the second line. The fool. The fool is the one who rejects the fear of the Lord. Right? So the fear of the Lord entails or or connotes the idea of the wise who has knowledge. The second line is the one who has rejected that, and it's a fool. Notice something else. Uh, Solomon repeats here at the end of this line wisdom and correction. These are the same words as used in verse 2, and so this forms a frame. Over the entire section here. So we have the title in verse 1, and then we have this frame, wisdom and correction in verse 2, wisdom and correction in verse 7. That tells us that this is a unit, and it's really to be taken as uh, the, the title and preamble of the book to help us understand what's going on. Okay. Uh, now, I, I note here, I have in the notes how a fool is characterized in the book. Uh, The term occurs 19 times in the book of Proverbs. So notice some of the things here. A fool despises wisdom and correction, babbles on to his own ruin. He dies out of the sheer impoverishment of his heart. It's bankrupt. He's morally bankrupt, intellectually bankrupt. He's a servant to the wise. He justifies himself in his own eyes. He has a violent and sudden temper, lashes out with pride mocks the notion of atoning for sin, spurns the correction of his father, Uh, he's corrected only by listening to additional folly, breaks into fights, aggravates others, refuses to have the folly beaten out of him, and gives obnoxious laughter even when he is sued. So this is the idea of a fool. How would we characterize the fool? They, in almost every example here, are self-willed and refuse to receive outside correction. Almost all of these characteristics are someone who is full of themselves and does not want to heed outside correction. It's a wise, arrogant person. And so the fool is, uh, it may be, you know, we think of a fool probably in our mind when conjure up a picture of someone who's... Uh, marginalized by society, right, who's kind of in on the outs and living in the fringe of acceptable society. I would suggest, on the other hand, that fools are often the ones who are running things, okay? They're not simply the marginalized of society. They're often front and center because uh, they are so self-willed and determined and full of themselves. Uh, so we want to avoid folly And this is a good outline for what type of person is a fool. Okay, so something to think about there. Questions on any of this so far? Okay, let me just point out a few things here. Uh, Page 67. Uh, I mentioned already that these statements form a frame. And really, we could outline this section in terms of a staircase parallelism. Uh, There are technical terms for this, but essentially what it means is uh, one line mirrors another line and moves toward the center, and the center is the focus. So here, uh, the latter part of verse 3 would be the focus, righteousness, justice, and acts of equity, or what the NIV says, doing what is right and just and fair. So I would suggest, based on this, that the book is leading us toward moral behavior that is wise and issues in righteous, just, and equitable acts. And so this is what we're to be doing uh, as wise people. That's the, the focal point uh, for the book. Okay, uh, page 68. I want to just mention in that last paragraph, the addressees of the book. Uh, Solomon identifies the recipients of his instruction as naive and young, and both carry connotations about the youth of the recipients. Now, when we think of youth, uh, that is a word that is quite culturally conditioned, right? What does it mean to be young? Well, this Hebrew term youth is used of, uh, for instance, Joseph Joseph, when he enters Pharaoh's service and he's 30. So youth really in in the Hebrew Old Testament can denote uh, those who are fairly mature and should have wisdom. So all this to say the intended audience of the book is on the younger side, but it really carries a broad connotation. And I think the preamble also suggests that uh, even those who are already wise can gain much from the book. And so uh, both are invited To participate in reading it. Okay, so those are the first seven verses. Uh, Let me now go on to the next part. Okay, this is 8 to 19, and here we enter the first speech. Okay, this is speech one. If you remember from the introduction, uh, we outlined how the prologue has ten wisdom speeches, and they alternate from calls to attention to calls to remember. And then they have, at the end, warnings against the outside woman, uh, that the, the woman that's tempting to the young man to pursue rather than a godly wife. So speech one is a call to attention. So notice the attention words. And I would subtitle this as the beauty of received wisdom and the brutality of folly. Okay, Beginning of verse 8, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adore your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us, we will all share the loot. My son... Do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Okay, speech one. I want to spend a moment here thinking about this and one of the questions that I mull over quite a bit is why is this the first speech okay if we're dealing with a young inexperienced youth who needs wisdom why does Solomon start with this speech he doesn't start with the a warning against immorality and the temptations that might come to be led astray that way. He begins a speech where he's saying, don't follow violent youths. I call this sometimes a warning against gang violence. The idea here is to avoid youths who are violent and looking for the thrill of easy prey. So why does Solomon start here? And what is he emphasizing? All right, let me open it up to discussion. What observations do you see about this speech and why this speech comes first? What should we take away from the fact that the first warning to the young man is against his violent peers? Yes?
1: It's all about, it's all that you're around are the most
0: Okay. Yes.
1: Having experienced. Um, close people, relatives that have engaged in that type of violent behavior and the consequences that come with it. I can't help but be um, mindful of how how that those choices in youth can alter the whole of a young person's life to the point that that life is pretty much taken away by the consequences.
0: Right. This is where it starts, right? This, how important it is for young people to be selective, judicious, and wise about their friends and who they associate with. Uh, How true is it that uh, youth who feel alienated and ostracized And and probably most of us would testify at some point in our life we felt awkward, right, in junior high or just felt like we didn't fit in or we weren't maybe uh, normal in some way or didn't go with everybody else. And those youth who feel that way are easy prey for those who would sweep them up into a violent lifestyle that would draw them toward all sorts of evil on a downward progression. So I think this is important to emphasize, and I, sometimes I, I think that we may, might lose this by not pausing on the fact that the first speech is about peer pressure and being drawn in toward a violent lifestyle. So the first warning is, is not against sexual enticements, it's against violence and the easy buck that's promised, right? Quick money. And so this is the, the warning the Father gives, don't go with them. Verse 10 is, is, is a good one for young people to memorize. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give into them because they will draw you away. All right, as we look through this these verses just quickly, what are some observations that you make that you would make about why there's an appeal for the young man to follow these other youths and what exactly the father is warning against any quick observations
1: I I think there's that thing there especially of youth uh, and I know I felt this way too you know even as a Christian it's just not not Think, thinking that you can get away with it.
0: Yeah. Believing that you can get away with it? Yeah. Right. Right. They yeah. Just somehow that the hammer won't fall. Right. On me. And that's the hubris of youth, right? That... There's not a developed sense of consequences, de-consequences. And so it's easy to get swept up into this. I can think of you know things that I've done when I was young and didn't really even think that there would be any consequences. Just like, yeah, let's do this without really thinking it through. And so the father is stepping in and saying, don't do this. It will lead you down a path of destruction. Yes? I'm also
1: thinking this hones in on um, pursuing materialism. In, in a bad way at the expense of life. Right. And the value of it, It's devaluing life in, <coughs> in pursuing ill no gotten
0: gain. Right. Right. So it's, it's looking for ways to get rich quick or to be materially prosperous. And uh, this, I think, also is a particular te- uh, temptation to young men uh, that to get things to be affluent, to fall into those that can help you succeed, and so it's a very alluring thing. And the father here is warning the son not to be enticed by this sort of behavior. All right. Uh, any other thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's uh, thrilling. You know, I like mean, it's exciting.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. it, it 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 is, and this is. Um, what that sort of a peer group offers, right? I, I was, I'm was i good friends with a retired New York City police officer who, when he was young, was in a gang and eventually got out of it uh, and became a police officer. And he, he has a lot of interesting stories, but uh, this is what the gangs do. They target youth with that allure of social acceptance, power, Excitement, all these things, and it's a very enticing thing, particularly if you come from a broken family structure with no role models in your life. Who isn't going to want somebody that accepts them and brings them into the group? So I I think in America, we've seen this so visibly happen to our society because of the breakdown of the family structure that many youth are getting swept up into these peer relations that drag them to hell, for lack of a better way of explaining it, uh, that it enticed them in and take them down a downward progression. So the the father's warning against this. Okay, let me just make a few comments about some of these verses in verse, uh, page 69, page 69. Uh, Verse 14, I want to talk a moment about this. Uh, A lot of English versions, if you have something other than the NIV say something like, throw in your lot among us. Uh, the idea is join our group and you know you'll benefit from it. Uh, I would say that the NIV is a much is better and gets it right here. The idea is not simply to join the group, but cast lots with us. So verse 14 is saying, you're going to get a share of the spoils, the loot as it says. So if you join us, there's a quick gain to be made. Uh, This is how gangs often initiate right through uh, some sort of crime. And that's how you show your metal. And that's what essentially is is being offered here uh, to do something to gain that. Uh, And you notice how in verse 12, They talk about what they're going to do. Let's swallow them alive like the grave, whole like those who go down to the pit. Uh, What does that mean exactly? What's the imagery there? Uh, This has connotations to other cultural things from the ancient Near East. One of the things that comes to mind is uh, death is often described in the ancient Near East as swallowing people whole and in one of the ancient Near Eastern stories related to the Baal cycle remember Baal from Elijah's confrontation with Baal on Mount Carmel uh, talks about death swallowing victims like an olive just taking it whole and, and the idea here is we're going to overwhelm them their easy prey will eat them alive and so there, there seems to be you know what's to stop us from doing this? It's easy pickings. Let's do it. So what's the enticement? The enticement is the quick buck and the ease and excitement of getting it. Okay. But what does verse 17 say? How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. This is a difficult phrase uh, to really get. I think the NIV uh, does a fairly good job of translating this. I might tweak it a little bit and say something like I have in uh, the middle of the page there, how futile that a net be sprinkled in the sight of any flying bird. Uh, I think this is connected to the fact that they would often have traps for birds that they would sprinkle with grains to bait the birds in. So the idea is that when they're, they're like those who would sprinkle the net while the bird is watching... So what's the point of this proverb? It's what verse 18 tells us. What they're really doing is sowing the seeds for their own destruction. In other words, what they think is an easy way to destroy others and make a quick buck is ultimately going to do what? It's going to kill or swallow them up rather than their victim. And so the the idea there is, If you follow this path, you're going to be consumed with them, and you'll be lying in wait for your own blood. Okay, let me just make a comment on page 70, and then we'll be done for the night. Uh, I want to, in that last paragraph of this section, we find here the first allusion to the two paths, and this is in verse 15 my son, do not go along with them, do not set foot on their paths. Uh, it literally says to refrain from going that way and to keep the foot from the path. Uh, Norman Hable says this, that a, a derrick or a way implies ordered movement and purpose travel between two points. Okay, those who commit themselves to the way of wisdom, there are established guides and guidelines. In other words, there's really two ways to go. One is uh, with purpose and movement. You know where you're going. You have a goal. You're pursuing it. That's what the youth is supposed to be doing, pursuing wisdom, giving his heart to that pursuit. Then there is the desultory, wayward path of these young men who are idle, who are violent, And they want to entice the young man to come along with them. They really have no purpose other than to make an easy uh, victimization of their prey. And so this father is saying, don't follow that path. Keep your feet on the right path. And this analogy becomes even more important as we proceed through the book. The path to righteousness and wisdom is well-ordered and structured. The path to folly and destruction is easy and broad And many fall prey to that. And the Father is saying here, don't go along with them. All right, our time is up. So thank you for your attention tonight. We'll look forward to seeing you next time.